and welcome to Talking About My Generation, a pop culture podcast dedicated to children of the 80s, 90s, and even into the 21st century. If you're new to the show, welcome. On this podcast, we'll discuss movies, video games, and television shows that we grew up on. And this week, I have a friend of mine from high school. Uh, she's coming to us from across the continent, over all the way out in Connecticut here to join me. That's my friend, Eva Stanley. Eva? Hi! <laughs> Happy to be here. Glad to have you here. We're gonna <laughs> now. We're gonna talk about one of my favorite movies here, uh, and, and I know you've said that it's one of yours as well. Oh, uh, yeah. We're gonna talk, folks. For those of you who don't know about this movie, uh, you, if you've seen on my Facebook posts on uh, talking about my generation, I put a little bit of a hint this week talking about Abe Froman, the Sausage King of Chicago. Yes. Uh, th this movie here is Ferris Bueller's Day Off. It's a 1986 American coming of age comedy film. Written and produced and directed by John Hughes. Very cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I love this movie. Uh, I mean, what, what what did you think of it? I mean, what are your thoughts on this movie? I just, I remember seeing it as a kid. Probably, I was probably about nine or ten when it came out. And I just remember thinking how cool Ferris was. And even watching it now, you know, 25 years later, it's like, he's so cool. It just, he's, it's almost like, He's magical. Everything works out for him, and it's just yeah. it's just magical. It's just like, I, God, I wish that my life was that smooth and <laughs> no bumps and everything working out. Um, but yeah, he just you know, he's got a really good attitude and a really good funk about him, and people just gravitate to him, and it's just very it's just very fun. Very, um, I watched it, you know, as an adult, and just it, I. I still have a fondness for it like I did when I was a kid. It's just like, God, everything works out for him. He's so lucky. Yeah, and, and, you know, you can never figure that out, but, like, everybody no. loves him. And, and yeah. there's there's a line that Edie McClurg has when she's playing as the secretary, and she mentions about all the dweebies, the tranks, the druggies, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And she goes on. I forget what what exactly she no. says, but, like, she's naming off boys, all these people. The dweebies, the, yeah, the jocks, the nerds. Everyone thinks he's a righteous dude. They all love him. <laughs> <laughs> He's got to, you know, it, it, even like Charlie Sheen, you know, at the end, towards the end yeah. of the movie, you know, he, he's a criminal. He even knew about him. I just thought that was hilarious. Oh, well, I, I, mean, I love it that everybody's worried about him and, that, you know, they're collecting money for him and, and, yes. and you know, <laughs> you see all Harris. this stuff. Yeah, you know. <laughs> but, I mean, it was just, it was great for that. So, now, for those who don't know, basically the film follows high school senior Ferris Bueller. Uh, who he decides to skip school, spend the day in downtown Chicago, and he's accompanied by his by his girlfriend Sloane Peterson and his best friend Cameron Fry, and he basically just completely avoids the school's dean of students, who's a uh, guy by the name of Ed Rooney, uh, and his, he also manages to avoid his uh, sister Jeannie and his parents who work downtown. Uh, now, during the film, one of the things that I did really like about this uh, is that Ferris. He basically talks not just to his friends and everybody else interacting with the world. He also breaks the fourth wall, and you see that where he turns and he talks to the camera. He talks to the yes. audience. Yes, that was something I gravitated to right away too. You know, I mean, one of my favorite things is when he starts explaining about how to fake being sick and yes. you know the whole the whole clammy <laughs> palms. You, you lick your palms, and you know when you you bend over and you groan and you lick your palms. Childish, <laughs> I know, but you know. <laughs> so <was> high school. <laughs> yeah, you know, but I was just like, wow. And the stuff that he does to pull it off, he calls people and he's talking to people and he's doing the whole sick thing, 
you know. was elaborate, wasn't it? it was oh, yeah. It was so elaborate. Everything, every step, every stone was not left unturned. It was very, very well thought out. You could tell that he had planned this probably for, you know, weeks in advance or something. Or maybe not. Maybe he just that brilliant that he could pull that off in a day but it just yeah that was one thing that struck me too is he is so elaborate in his thought of this that it's just like wow that takes some talent right there yeah, yeah i mean one of my favorite things was when he makes a comment about how you know how he's sitting there and he goes well my sister Jeannie got a car for her birthday me i got a computer and he's he's there hacking into the school's computer to change yeah. how many sick days he's been. Yeah, hmm, maybe the computer did pay off. Uh, exactly. And I love how that reminds me, too, how he and Rooney, Rooney just manages, just manages to miss him. It's like at the baseball game, he just manages to miss him on the TV, on the, you know, when he was on the computer changing the days. He just manages yeah. to miss him. And it's just it's so funny how unobservant people around him are. They're so, like, trying to get him. And then his parents are, I, I couldn't believe his parents. But, yeah, just see how people are so unobservant. It just, that was the first thing that struck me is, my God, these people around him are just not paying attention to him at all. They're uh, not getting this. Yeah, they're, they're so unobservant. You know, and that was just the thing. I mean, and even when they did see him. They always weren't sure if they actually did see him or not. Like yeah. when they're in the taxi cab in Chicago and, and, you know, his girlfriend Sloan looks over and sees Ferris's dad sitting in the taxi cab next to him. It's like, yes. oh, my God. You know, and, and then with, you know, when they go to when they go out to lunch and they bump into his dad coming to the yes. same restaurant. And it's like, oh, my God. Oh, <laughs> so unbelievable. I could not even my daughter was watching it with me and she's like, oh, wow, mom. <laughs> the, the dad is, has got to be the most clueless unobservant dad I've ever seen in my life. It's like, yeah, and that's just not realistic, sweetheart. <laughs> yeah. This guy is just, yeah, he, uh, he's magic. I mean, PFM. <laughs> yeah. So I, I do want to go in and talk a little bit about the cast here. Uh, that's kind of a big thing because there's a, there's a huge cast for this, and, and a lot of these people from this cast have gone on to be uh, in major movies elsewhere. Oh, yeah. uh, for the start of the cast, we have, of course, Ferris Bueller himself, Matthew Broderick. Uh, Matthew Broderick's been in numerous other films. He was in War Games. Uh, he was the he was the voice of the adult Simba in The Lion King. Uh, he was also – oh, my God. I'm going to bring this up, but I can't stand it, but I'm going to bring it up anyway. Uh, he was in that horrible Godzilla remake that they did right around 2000, 2001, something like that. Uh, where that. <laughs> and at him and Hank Azaria and a couple of other people, it was just ugh. Awesome. You know, I wanted to like that movie because I loved Godzilla as a kid. Yeah, but it was just it was done so badly, and it was like oh ugh. no. Even the best actors have done some stinkers. Yeah. <laughs> Although I will say that Matthew Broderick, this this really surprised me. When he was adult Simba, he was doing all the singing, and that actually came back later on because he did a uh, he did a made for TV movie for Disney. Uh, about the music man. Oh, uh, he's I also, remember that. Yes. Yeah. It was him and Victor Garber and uh, – God, I'm trying to think of who else was in the movie. Mm-hmm. But I mean they, they were all playing in the oh. music man and he was the music man. And I was just like – you know, and you hear him and he's singing 76 trombones. And it's just – it's like – I totally what? forgot about that. That was early 2000s, wasn't it? Uh, something like that. I mean he did it he after – I know he did it after uh, – 
I, I he did it after Lion King, and he was he had also done because I know that the the first time I'd ever seen him doing any sort of musical type number uh, was back in high school when he did uh, How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying. Oh, that's right. And He's they had they right. had that down at the La Jolla Playhouse. Right. I I'd kind of forgotten about a little tidbit about him. He's done lots of Broadway and lots yeah. of. He he yeah. really has. It, you know. Now, of course, now, I, I have to point out that he that you know I personally think that he has made some mistakes in his life. He chose Sarah Jessica Parker, that horse faced <laughs> bitch, as his wife. But <laughs> they've been together a long time, though. I know that they have had the rough patch, but they've been together a long time. Which you have to say, considering Hollywood and how marriages fall apart after five minutes, I I give them props. Yeah. They've been together for almost 20 years or something. It's, you know, it's probably that she's realizing, admirable. it's probably that she's realizing, oh my God, who the fuck is going to love a horse face like this? Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to stay with him. <laughs> I have to agree. I have to agree. So, <sighs> That's but yeah, we, now moving down the line, we have Alan Ruck. Uh, yeah. Alan Ruck plays Cameron Fry, uh, Ferris's best friend who, you know, coincidentally has, his dad has the car, which we'll get to. Uh, Alan Ruck, he was also uh, he was also in the movie Speed. So if you ever saw that, he was the guy who's basically kind of just having an attitude on the bus with everybody. Oh my god, I remember that. I yeah. haven't seen. Okay, you're right. Yes, it's been years. So I remember. I was going to say, what else has he been in? Because I knew he was in something else. Yeah, he was I in that, and he's also he was also one of the regulars on the TV show uh, TV series Spin City with Michael uh, Michael J. Fox. So another eighties. I saw that. Oh, very cool. Uh, now the next one here, uh, we have Mia Sarah. Uh, Mia Sarah, I I really haven't seen a whole lot. I mean, I was looking trying to find stuff that she's been in recently, so I could kind of pull it out. Yeah. Best things I could find, she was the female lead in uh, the move in the Tom Cruise movie Legend, which I want to say was one of Tom Cruise's first movies. I think he did. Yes. I think he did that even before Risky Business. He did. He did. Uh, you know, and, and I love that movie just because it was a it was very much a fantasy type film. But yeah. you know, I mean, I'll certainly cover that later on. It was it was one of my favorite films here, and most people are like, oh, I can't remember that at all. But I big I, I have impressions of it because we were, we must have been six, seven when that came out, eight maybe. Uh, I have vague impressions. It kind of reminds me of what was that one movie with the flying bear or lion or something never ending story oh yeah kind of it was kind of around kind that of, same genre yeah same era. i have impressions of it kind of being like that and i'd have to see it again but yeah i don't remember seeing much of her at all yeah uh yeah. she she also was the love interest in uh the van damme movie time cop which uh she was supposed to play van damme's wife you know his cop wife in the film which it was like, eh, okay. You know, I saw the movie because I saw Jean Doug- Jean-Claude Van Damme at Comic-Con one year, and that was when he was promoting Time Cop, and it was kind of like, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah, might deal. as well. Yeah, let's take a look, yeah. You know, and it was pretty bad, and, well, I paid money for it, I'm sorry to say. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Uh, now, moving down the list again on the cast list, we have Jeffrey Jones. Uh, Jeffrey Jones has been in a lot of stuff. You You see him. Yes. And a lot of things. And, and you don't yes. realize it. And you're like, oh, my God, that's that one guy. But, yes. you know, people They're, never remember his name. I never remember his name. Yeah. Yeah. Jeff, uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, he was that. he was in uh, the Johnny Depp version of Sleepy Hollow. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was in The Devil's Advocate. And yes. he, 
Oh my god, he he got he got the shit kicked out of him in Devil's Advocate when the guys when the uh, demons came and killed him. Right. Uh, he was also in he, he was also in a really bad stinker of a movie that had uh, Tim Robbins and Leah Thompson. Uh, you're probably going, what the hell is this movie that he's going to pull out? Howard the Duck. Oh my god, Howard the Duck. <laughs> yes. One of the believe it or not, that was actually. That is actually technically the very first Marvel superhero comic book movie ever because Howard oh. the Duck was originally a Marvel comic book back in the 70s, you know, late 70s, early 80s. So technically, Howard the Duck is the very first on screen Marvel character. That was a stinker, I have to admit. I don't remember much of it, but I, yeah. Yeah. It was, it was you know, bad. He, was, he was in that. He was also, uh, he also did have more recently. Uh, uh, he was in the HBO TV series Deadwood. Uh, I Deadwood. never watched it, but my dad loved Deadwood. So oh, yes, my husband loved it. In fact, I think I have it on DVD. I'll have to. Yeah, I mean, I, I have access to it on HBO Go and HBO On Demand. I just I haven't sat down to watch it. My dad's like, oh, you know, the entire thing seems to be about everybody being at the goddamn whorehouse. Yes, thanks exactly. a lot, Dad. <laughs> That's the center of it. Yes, <laughs> you know. Yep. Uh, but yeah. He plays uh, – Jeffrey Jones, he plays Edward Rooney, the dean of students, who's basically, you know, again, as we mentioned before, kind of go around, going around trying to spend his entire day trying to bust Ferris's ass because he really wants to kick him out of school and, you know, keep him back another year or whatever. So. Played that beautifully. That was yeah. – <laughs> hands down, the best principal ever. Actually, no. Actually, The Breakfast Club, the principal in The Breakfast Club is pretty badass, too. Yeah, see, I mean, I, I like The Principal in The Breakfast Club. I mean, if we're talking about deans, I also have to mention, you know, the dean in Animal House, because I really oh, like yes. him as well. Oh, yes. Dean Warmer, yes. Okay. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, those are my favorites. Now, the next one that we have, uh, next person down on my list here, played as Jeannie, Ferris's sister, Jennifer Grey. And Jennifer Grey, uh, she was actually in another really popular 1980s era movie, Dirty Dancing. She played as Baby. And, you know, I, I have to say I know the movie. I've seen it a couple times because it's one of those flicks that, you know, women love to see. I personally, myself being a guy, I'm kind of like, okay, I'm sick of this damn thing already, but. You know what? I have to agree with you. I'm. I was like talking about it with, I remember Holly and Monica and a bunch of other kids in high school, you didn't love Dirty Dancing? I'm like, I'm probably the only chick on the face of the earth that did not love Dirty Dancing. I liked Patrick Swayze. I liked Jennifer Grey. I, the movie did not do it for me. I, even to this day, I can watch it and I'm just not impressed. It's just, it did not resonate with me. I don't know why. Um, yeah. But yeah. I'm probably the only girl that you know that probably <laughs> that does not like that movie. You know, it is yeah. what it is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now, the next two people that I have, I, I didn't really find out a whole lot about them other than they were also in a movie called Sleepwalkers where, again, they played uh, a pair of parents. Uh, Lyman Ward and Cindy Pickett, they play uh, Tom and Katie Bueller, who are Ferris's parents. Uh, now, I found out some interesting stuff when I was doing this research here is that these two people actually met on the set of Ferris Bueller. And when they first met, you know, things kind of started going a little well for them, and they actually got married shortly after they wrapped Ferris Bueller. So they are actually so cool. husband and wife in real life. That's so cool. Are they still married? Do you know? 
I wasn't able to find anything out if they're still married. Uh, I mean, I'm sure if I went and looked, tried to look it up more, I might be able to find something. Yeah. But, you know, it'd be kind of interesting to see. It would be, because when did that come out? 25 years ago? Yeah, 20, oh, more than, yeah. longer than that. Uh, 86, huh. so... so uh, yeah. Wow! God, don't you feel old? <laughs> don't start. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Your, your kids are probably going, Mom, why are these people dressed like that in these movies? Oh, they oh, look ridiculous. Oh, oh, Christina just, she gets a kick out of seeing, like, my high school, like, yearbook pictures. And, <laughs> and oh, she's like, Mom, what's with the hair? Really? I'm like, I know. Yeah. <laughs> I but know. I, I know we'll definitely get into the fashion a little bit here with this. Because, oh, you know, 80s fashion is something entirely separate. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> uh, now, moving along here. I have to mention this lady because I love this lady. She's done so much. And again, one of these people that you recognize her voice, you see her and you recognize her, but nobody can ever see and remember her name. Edie McClurg. Yes. Uh, you know, she, she was Grace the secretary in this movie. Uh, she was also uh, Mrs. Poole on the TV show Valerie. Mrs. Poole was that really annoying lady who came over next door, uh, who lived next door to the Hogan's. Uh, and then she was also, because this is one of my favorite shows when I was, favorite cartoon shows when I was growing up as a kid, uh, was Life with Louie. She was Louie's mom on the animated TV show Life with Louie, uh, which was kind of supposed to be based loosely on Louie Anderson's childhood when he was growing up. I vaguely remember that. Oh, gosh. Yeah, she's yeah. been in a lot of stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, and, oh, and she was also in um, uh, the Cars movies. Yes. She was one of the minivans that drove around. Yes. Mini. Mm-hmm. That's you right. Know. Yep. Her and I want to say Richard Kern. I think that's who it was. Who? I, and I might be wrong with that, but I, I want to say his first name was Richard. But you see him, and he, and you know he always has that kind of that same kind of voice. And nope, don't need a map. Got GPS. Never need a map. That was his character, and then she played as as his wife. Yeah. Very distinctive voice. Yes. Um, next person I have on the list, Ben Stein. Ben Stein. Oh, my hero. Yes. Uh, for those of you who don't know, he's done a bunch of the Visine commercials. Visine gets the red out. Talks in that very monotone voice. Uh, he also was the host of Win Ben Stein's Money, as well as being the economics teacher here in this movie. And everybody who's seen this movie, everybody who's seen Ferris Bueller will all almost always, as soon as you mention it, go, Bueller. 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 <laughs> anyone? Anyone? Was it higher or lower? Higher? It was higher. Try. <laughs> Try. Yeah, you know, they all know who Ben Stein is. Oh, you, I mean, yes. you, you hear that voice and you don't know the name necessarily, but you know who he is. I recognize it, yes. Uh, now, of course, we do have a cameo that shows up. Uh, is Charlie Sheen. He has his little quick cameo as the drug addict bad boy at the police station. And, uh, you know, when I kind of saw that as the, as the drug addict, I'm kind of like, wow. Um, yeah. You know, you know, yeah. especially with him going crazy in that whole torpedo of truth tour that he took recently. Oh, yes. Winning. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now someone else that I did find out, she played a little cameo as well in this film. Uh, she went on to be, She's done other things, and for me, she will always be Buffy. 
And people are going, really? Sarah Michelle Gellar was in the movie? No, not that oh. Buffy. The oh. first Buffy. Yeah. Uh, for which people hated her for it, apparently. But, you know, this to me is Buffy. Christy yeah. Swanson. Christy Swanson, yep. Simone Adam Lee, the economic student. Yep. I was going to mention that if you didn't mention her, because I, oh. I picked up on that immediately. I was like, Christy Swanson! Yeah, yeah. And, and, and she's the one that goes off about, oh, well, it's my friend's brother who, who did this and who saw that, who sold something to a guy once. Well, I heard it from them that Ferris is really sick. Yep. Oh, my God. You know, oh. and that's another, that's another line that, you know, people have made fun of as well, because they stretch out. You know, oh, I know this who did this, this person's cousin, yeah. blah, blah, blah. My friend's brother's girlfriend's sister's aunt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know. Husband saw him pass out at 31 Flavors last night. Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, so since we know who the cast is, I kind of wanted to go into the plot of the movie. And, yes, we are going to spoil it for those of you who haven't seen it. But, gee, if you haven't seen it, go fucking watch it. That's right. Okay. Right. You know, I'm sorry. The movie's been out for, you know, it's been out since 1986. Almost 30 years. Yeah. Um, if you haven't seen it yet, it's time. <laughs> uh, so basically what we have here is we have the movie opening up with Ferris Bueller, who decides to skip school on a nice spring day. He fakes an illness to his parents, uh, goads his depressive best friend Cameron Fry into joining him. And despite Cameron's objections, they basically take his dad's car. Now, this car... I, I, I'm still to this day amazed that, you know, they were able to get away with this. Oh. It's a 1961 Ferrari 250 GT California Spider convertible. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Uh, and they take it – they basically take it to, because they have to take this car to go pick up Sloan Peterson because they're trying to get her out of class. And when they're doing this whole thing, basically he has Cameron calling to Principal Rooney – to fake like he's like he's uh, uh, Sloane's dad to try and get her out of class, basically saying that, so that you brilliant. know, yeah. So and, and then what makes it better is that you know Ed Rooney picks up on it and thinks that it's Ferris trying to get her out of class, and it's like yeah. you know, and, and then Ferris calls him on line two, and, and Edie McClure is running there, <laughs> Mister Rooney, Mister Rooney, Mister Rooney, Ferris Bueller is on line two, dun dun dun, <laughs> and you just see him, he's like the eyes get big, and he's like, oh shit, I what have I done? It. You know, especially when he's telling him, especially when he's telling him that, uh, you know, you can kiss my big fat white butt. And then like, oh, my God. Oh, my goodness. You he know? was so had the entire movie. It just oh, yeah. cracked me up. It was like, oh, God. You know, and there was always something at every turn that was tossing him, you know, yes. basically stopping him. Oh. I, yeah. What I loved about it is that he was so fixated on getting Ferris and his sister, you know, Jennifer Gray was so fixated on Ferris, and it's just the fixation of, of, of you know those yeah. characters in the movie. It's it hilarious. You know, we're but, just so fixated on him. Yeah, I mean, you know, but with that, there we we do have them. They steal this car. They, well, I shouldn't say they steal; they borrow it, they take borrow. it out, to, <laughs> take it out to go pick him up, and then they decide that you know they're they're all going through this. While Ferris is out partying throughout the day, you know, his the whole word of his illness is spreading throughout the city. Uh, you know, the school in the city, people are doing uh, – sending sympathy and the cards and, you know, the Singing flowers and everything. Yeah. Yeah. And, and speaking of which, you know, as I mentioned with Louis Anderson uh, being – Edie McClurg being Louis's mom. Uh-huh. Louis Anderson himself shows up in this movie. 
Uh, no he actually is the flower delivery man that when Ed Rooney goes to the goes to the oh, house to go find Ferris. That's right. That's right. I that is one thing I missed. Yeah, he's so there delivering it. Time. So it's just kind of one of those bit things, you know, with comedians showing up, which I always kind of I always pick up on like some of the comedians that show up in the movies and stuff like that. Good observation. I can't believe I just thought three times to prepare for this, and I missed that. I love it. Is that he's even one where he did he did the horn dun 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 dun, dun and then <laughs> yeah, and he gives him the, he flips yeah. the, flips them off while he's doing it. Yeah. yeah. Oh my god, I have to watch that again now. But yeah, that that and then the nurse that goes on with her whole rhymes. You know, I'm here to restore your your vigor, sizzle, and pluck because I'm the nurse who likes to. <laughs> and the door slams. <laughs> yeah. Oh, love this movie. But yeah, I mean, and that whole thing with the with the sympathy and everything goes on, and it's a complete running gag in the film. I mean, even at the very end, when you see they've got up on the water tower, it says "Save Ferris." Save Ferris, yes. You know, so I mean, I love that. <laughs> like on their notebook, save Ferris. It's everywhere. Yeah. Oh. You know, I mean, there, there are two people that that know about this deception. You have Jeannie, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, principal, the dean of students, Ed Rooney. They're all trying to catch him on this. Yep. And, you know, Ferris and Sloan and Cameron, they take off in the car. Ferris says, oh, we're not taking the car back yet. They take off to downtown Chicago. They leave the Ferrari with, with two garage attendants. And as soon as they as soon as they leave it, the two garage attendants take and haul ass off in the car. <laughs> and they're flying around the city in this, you know, this car. Uh, you know, the three friends, they take off. They go off on their carefree, charmed day in the city. They have lunch at a fancy restaurant. Uh, they go to a Cubs game at Wrigley Field. They visit the Sears Tower, the Art Institute of Chicago, uh, the Sh- Chicago Mercantile Exchange. Basically, something kind of like the Stock Exchange, and that's where yeah. you see uh, you see Alan Ruck. He's doing the whole things where he's back and forth, and he kind of does the whole Three Stooges bit at the very end. Yeah, you know, if, imitating it. Uh, they also do crash the annual Von Steuben Day Parade, where Paris ends up lip syncing. Uh, Don Cashane and then uh, the Beatles twist and shout on the float and the crowd starts joining him in dancing and singing, which I thought was kind of nice. That was a great scene. Uh, now, one thing I do want to point out here, that lunch at the fancy restaurant, mm-hmm. they, you know, the, has one of my favorite lines in the movie is they walk in and he's trying to get a table and he goes, yeah, I'm Abe Froman. You're Abe Froman, the sausage king of Chicago. And you can kind of see Ferris kind of going, oh, shit, you know who Abe Froman is. <laughs> But at the same time, he just doesn't let him phase, doesn't let it phase him, and he's like, "Yes, I'm Abe Froman, the sausage king of Chicago," and, you know. Yeah, yeah, and Cameron's there in the background, going, "Dude, just give it up, give it up," you know. We, you yeah. know, just he's caught us. And, and Ferris goes, "No, I'm not gonna." He goes, "I'm not gonna do that." And he goes, and "The guy's like, well, get out of here before I call the police. I'll call him for you." That's right. And then he turns out and he calls he calls the line and has it ring, and the guy's like, "Hey." Do you know, mess with me and I'll scream rat. <laughs> he was yeah. just so brazen. It just nothing fazed him at all. He just went oh, yeah. with the punches and just Yep, didn't flinch. Yeah. Just, yeah. And all of this this all this attitude was with him was just how can I screw somebody else? You know, how yeah. can, how can I yeah. and really I shouldn't even say how can I screw him? Because it was just like he was getting screwed and he was trying to find a way to turn it around and stick it back to them. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, even from the very beginning, what struck me is, you know, Cameron's sick as a dog, and he somehow manages to get Cameron out of bed and over there, to, you know, for this whole adventure to even take place. But it's like, you know, well, I don't think he's ill-intentioned at all. Or no, you know, and, and that's the thing is that 
Cameron really wasn't sick of anything. He he really wasn't sick. He was just kind of sick of life. You know, he yeah. he was, was going through that whole depressive state of oh yeah. woe is me. You know, and you know what am I going to do with my life? And and that's really kind of what the movie's about is that they're going through and they're trying to find out what Cameron needs to do. And that's part of yeah. why Ferris takes him downtown and takes him to the art institute. To, that's true. That's true. It wasn't all about himself. That's true. You know, he was trying to get his friend to open up and see things. That's true. That's a very good point. You know. I just found it interesting that, you know, he comes off as being so self-absorbed and so selfish and me, me, me. I want to have a good time and I want to go and do this. I want to skip school and you're going to call Rooney for me and you're going to do this and you're going to come pick me up and you're going to, you know, and ultimately, yeah, it benefited him just as much as it did Ferris. Yeah. Ultimately. Yeah. Now, while this is all going on with them in Chicago and going through everything, uh, Mr. Rooney decides he's going to try and go into, go to Ferris's house and try to prove that Ferris is faking all this. That was awesome. Yeah, you know he he breaks in, he tries to break into the house there, and he gets caught by the he gets caught by the Rottweiler, and that you know that was kind of a clue to me when he finally gets over the fence. He ends up he sees the door flap, the doggy door flap. Okay, yeah. first off, that should be a fucking clue. If you have a doggy door yes. big enough to where you can fit through it, there's a big <laughs> ass dog on the other side of that door. <laughs> I thought the same thing. I'm like, he is just tenacious. Yeah. And, and you know, when that Rottweiler comes through and starts looking at him, he's like, ah, nice doggy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. That was awesome. You know, but, you know, she he gets he gets ripped to shreds by the dog. He finally yes, ends he up, knows. you know, he finally ends up knocking the dog out with that plant that he gets, the, the flowers. I didn't get that. Okay, what, what was that? I, that was one thing. I'm like, how did he do that? Did he just feed the flowers to the dog? I, no, that, he, he dropped the pot of plant, the dropped the pot of flowers on the dog's head and knocked the dog out. Oh, he knocked him out. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah I was sure. I'm like, did he give him the flowers? Did the flowers did he eat them and get knocked out? Or did I totally miss that? Yeah, no, actually, he, he, because it did look like it, the, the pot was broken. That's yeah, he, he just dropped <laughs> it on the dog's head, which, you know. That's right. Knocked him out. You never actually see it, so you know. For all those animal activists out there, the dog really wasn't hurt; they faked oh. it. So, okay. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, once he knocks out the dog, he does break into the house, and at this point, Jeannie is home. Yeah. Jeannie finds out that he's broken into the house. She she comes face to face with him, freaks out because she thinks that it's some intruder. That was hilarious. You know that snap kick, the, the free, three front snap kicks to the face, and he goes down. <laughs> Her freak out was one of the best parts of that entire movie. It was yeah. so hilarious. And she tears off upstairs, calls the police, and the police <laughs> are like, yeah, right. You know, and, of course, what do they do? They they sit there and they say, oh, you're Ferris Bueller's sister. Exactly. Then He's faking. Exactly. I do have a point to bring up about that, though. And even at 9, 10 years old, it occurred to me. She obviously knows who Principal Rooney is. So yeah. when she saw him in the house, obviously she had to have known that was Rooney. So there, I don't know if that was a little plot hole, but it almost seemed like she didn't know that it was Rooney until she saw his wallet and, and, found, and said, I found your wallet, Mr. Rooney, here you go. But I was confused about that because you would think she saw him you know, square in the face. She should have known that that was him. Here's, here's what I'm going to say about that. And, and you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write this off as being just kind of she was freaked out over the fact that you know, she she saw this man in her house for the first time, and she wasn't expecting him to, and just yeah, panic yeah. overcame her. Yeah, I'll write it off to that. In a, in a trauma-filled situation, yeah, maybe you aren't that observant, and maybe you wouldn't notice. 
in yeah. somebody's face. So, I just found that to be kind of odd. Like, yeah. You kicked the guy in the face. You had to have seen him, but it could have also happened so fast that, but yeah, I wasn't sure if that was a plot hole or if I was missing something there. Yeah, I mean, but, I'll, I'll just write it off as that. Is, you know, I'll. I'll accept that because it's one of those things. Again, you do have to kind of suspend your disbelief when you see movies. Yeah, I'll suspend absolutely. my disbelief a little bit for that because that yeah. that's believable. Still, it's not like you know, it's not like watching Die Hard. You know, Live Free or Die Hard, where Bruce Willis jumps on the back of a plane and you're going, "Really? Uh, really? Exactly. Yeah, and it all happened so quick, and she was expecting Ferris. So that, yeah, exactly. That makes sense. that makes sense. You know, but mm-hmm. uh, because of that, because of her calling the police, they actually do come and arrest her and mm-hmm. she ends up getting arrested for, you know, taking up police resources and calling them, you know, faking this whole thing. Hilarious. You know, yeah. and of course, while she's there, what happens? She runs into Charlie Sheen and they have this whole kissing moment and everything. <laughs> that was great. You know, oh, that was, that was just great. The two of them was hilarious. I, I, I laughed so hard. Oh, she was so uptight. She reminded me a lot of Cameron, actually. She was so uptight and so fixated on Ferris and just so angry. The teen angst and, yeah, then it goes to a different scene and then it comes back and they're making out. And it, was just, it was so great. And, you know, I, I think that because of that, it was it was kind of a breath of fresh air for him because it's you start to see by this point here, you're starting to see that Ferris is affecting everybody. And he's he's yeah. basically – everything that he's doing is very infectious. I mean – when you look at what he did with getting everybody in the city to come out and start dancing to twist yes. and shout, yeah, you know, uh, when you see them going through and, uh, you know, when you see Cameron finally starting to open up, and that's when Cameron realizes that hey, maybe Ferris isn't such a bad guy, and that he's trying uh-huh. to help me and enjoy my life. Yeah, you know, he's yeah, trying to get it's not all about up. him. Yeah, you know, but they they go through all that, you know, uh, Rooney. One thing I do have to point out, because everything that just seems to be happening, because Rudy starts going off on this, Rudy gets the short end of the stick on all this. Oh, he, he, he what gets tore up. <laughs> well, he he gets the dog. He ends up going over the fence. His shoe gets stuck in the mud. You know, he pulls it out. The dog attacks and rips his oh. leg up. Uh, he gets snap kicked to the face. He parks his car out by a fire hydrant, and the car gets tickets <laughs> and then towed. Oh, one thing after another. I just, you know. Uh, and we're still not, not to some of the day. we're still not to some of the best parts of the movie yet with involving him. But oh, you know, God. I'll get to that once we get all through the plot here. Mm-hmm. Now, at as we get down towards the end of the day for this, uh, Ferris and his friends they do go and they get the Ferrari back, and they discover on the way home that uh, they they've put over two hundred miles on it. That basically they discover that the guys had joyrided around the city in the car. Actually, did they figure that out? That, well, yeah. That- because they were they were driving back and they they looked down and they realized that you know a bunch of miles have been put on the car, you know yeah. they they kind of they kind of attributed it. They don't actually say outright that. Yeah, it was implied. Know, like okay, yeah, this we didn't obviously do this. This is yeah. You know, but they decided they go to jack the wheels up and run the car in reverse so that they can take the miles off because that was the whole idea. Since you know Cameron's dad knew what the mileage was on the car. Yeah. And so they're like, okay, well, you know, we're going to have to take and, and do this. And they jack it up. They start rewind, running it back in, um, running it back, and the miles aren't coming off the car. And that's, you know, Cameron kind of has this whole flip out. You know, well, Cam, well, I should say Cameron has a flip out before that. Once he finds out about the mileage, yes, he, he kind of yes. goes in that whole catatonic state. Oh, that was so sad. And they're so trying so to get sad. him out of it. Yeah. 
you know, it, and the whole scene, you know, I, I thought it was kind of funny because you see, um, you see Sloan and Ferris, they're sitting in the jacuzzi in their underwear, basically. And, you know, they're, they're trying to get Cameron out of it. And Cameron finally just decides, like, he finally just kind of comes out of his catatonic state and kind of flips out and falls into the pool. Mm-hmm. And I almost got the feeling then that he was kind of like, well, my life sucks so bad. I'm just going to try and commit suicide. Yeah. I and mean, that was what I thought at first. Yeah. And then he ends up sitting yeah. there at the bottom of the pool and Ferris goes and saves him. And he's like, and, and he's like flipping out and, and he finally comes to and he goes, I, I forget what he says, something about, you know. Gotcha. Kind yeah. Of thing. Yeah. It was kind of like, ha ha. Yeah. You know, and Ferris is at that point, you see Ferris finally lose his his cool. Yes. And he finally starts actually panicking, and it's it's for the first time you see him being something other than the cool, kick-ass, controlled. I thought, yes, I agree. That was you saw him being real. You saw him really caring about his friend, and that was that was a very good scene. And maybe maybe that was Cameron's whole point of doing that. Maybe it was you know see if we can you know not necessarily an intentional test, but yeah, you definitely did see um, Ferris really caring and getting. Off of that, yeah, Mr. Cool, haha, big shot, and, uh, it, and was, it was, you could uh, see that. Yeah, and I mean, again, it gets back to them being the whole, you know, everybody's kind of healing and everybody's kind of learning from this day. Yeah. Which, I mean, you know, this this kind of, in my mind, was still a, while it wasn't about going to school, it was still learning, you know, which oh, I kind of yeah. thought was nice on that. And, you know, maybe maybe John Hughes didn't know, didn't mean to do that. Maybe it was something that was implied there, even in the back yeah. of his mind. You know, I mean, unfortunately, the man has passed, so it's not like we can go and ask him. But you know, he had he had a lot of stuff that happened in this yeah. in this film. Uh, now, when we get back to the car, because when they try to take the miles off, uh, Cameron does finally just flip out on the car. He starts just self destructing and, and kicking the kicking the crap out of the car. Yep. And he like damages the bumper. He puts a dent in the front end breaks the front headlight, you know, and, and he's like, okay, you know, and this is it. And he's just kind of like, oh my God. And you see the car kind of like starting to fall back on the jack and rock yep. back. Yep. And then what happens? Like he finally, I, I want to say he like finally puts his hand on the front of the car or something or leans on it or something or touches it. And all of a sudden the jack slips, the car goes spinning out the back and falls right yes. through that back window. Yeah. He kind of egged it on to get, yeah. And I have to interject with that too. My first thought when I saw that was, A, can you really kick a car that, you know, that badly with your foot to cause that much damage? I don't know if that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you you, can't. I mean, he, yeah, he tore that car up. So I wasn't sure, A, if that was really believable or not. And then also, I have to say that I was one of the dummies who thought the same thing, that you could put a car in reverse and take the miles off. To be fair. (laughs) <laughs> to be fair, in in those older cars, in in the sixties and seventies cars, you can actually run mileage off of the odometer by putting it oh, in reverse. Oh, really? Okay, yeah. I don't quite so dumb then. I, uh, I I don't I I was probably maybe a teenager when I finally realized, okay, this can't happen. That's you know, but yeah. I did believe that for a long time that you could do that. So yeah, and that was actually something <laughs> where there was a lot of odometer fraud going on in that era, and they actually did finally put it in where the speedometer gauges. Uh, when they started switching over to digital gauges, you stopped seeing a lot of that happening. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But basically what was happening was because they were using a mechanical gauge, they could hook the cable up and run the, run the odometer backwards uh, just by driving the car in reverse or putting it in reverse. So it, it was possible to do that. Oh, okay. 
I just remember thinking, wow, that's really kind of cool. I, I, <laughs> yeah. How neat. <laughs> now, with all that, you know, he's he's kind of like, oh, shit, oh, shit, oh, shit. You know, and Ferris even has a moment, like, he sees the car sitting there in the ravine, and he goes, oh, oh my God, Cameron, you yeah. killed the car. Yeah. And, you know, and Cameron's like, no, I'm going to take the blame for this. And Ferris's like, no, look, your dad's going to go ballistic. Let me yeah. take the blame. He hates me anyway. Yeah. And Cameron's like, no. And it was kind of like – I got the feeling like he was doing this because, hey, I really want my dad to take notice of me uh-huh. because he felt like nobody cared about him. Absolutely. And, it was you a know, way to get this attention. It was a very extreme way to go about it. But, yeah, you know yeah. what? I, you love this car more than you love anything else, and I'm going to destroy it, and I'm, I'm going to demand that you pay attention, and we need to have this talk. And uh, I thought it was very big of Ferris to actually offer. It wasn't Ferris's fault that the car was taken out. Um, yeah. Ferris could have easily just said, oh, you know, I, I'm not going to be involved in this, whatever, and let him take the heat for it. But I thought it was really neat that he actually said, I will take the heat for this. You know, he, it, it was another human moment for him. Yeah. And, I mean, you know, it's, it's kind of like I kind of figured something like that was going to happen. But at the same time, if Ferris had actually taken the heat, yeah. my thought was, well, he's gone through all this trouble to hide from his parents. And, yeah. you know, he's basically been lying. What's, what are his parents going to do? You know, I mean, I, I kind of wondered what would have happened on that side. Yeah, because, if, if Ferris had taken you know, it. His parents were this really naive pair of parents. Maybe they yeah. wouldn't have noticed. I don't know. I don't know. But it, it's actually a very good point that, yeah, he really wanted to get his dad. He wanted his, he wanted to get his dad's attention, and that was the way to do it. He might not have been thinking that consciously when he was going through his freakout, but ultimately, yeah, I think that, and that was why he wasn't even really. You could see him; they they panned in on his face, and he, and he didn't look scared. He didn't look worried. He looked okay with it. He looked like you know what? I I fucked up my dad's car, and I'm okay with this. And yeah. it humanized it. Yeah, I mean, and that, and basically where that leaves off, we kind of that's the last we see of Cameron throughout this movie. Yeah, you know, yeah. which it's kind of sucks because you know, I, to this day, I still kind of want to know what happened to Cameron. I do too. I do but, too. You know, I, we do find out a little bit more. Like Ferris leaves from there, he walks Sloan home, he has a kiss with her, and you know, the whole thing. And you know, he he kind of mentions Ferris says, "Well, you know, I really do want to marry Sloan, and you know that that'll be our life." He says that at one point, talking to the camera. Yes. Uh, but we don't see what really happens after that with with him and Sloan. Um, yeah. You know, I I do know that at, once that happens, we have that really famous scene because he re- he realizes, shit, I only got five minutes to get home before six <laughs> o'clock when everybody else is supposed to be showing up. Uh-huh. And so he does that huge run, and they have the music going, you know, the the trumpets, and I, I forget what the name of the song is, but it was just a goofy song, but it yeah. totally fit for how he's running, and he's just running through people's houses and through their backyards. Uh-huh. It was like drums and trumpet, and yeah, yeah it, was, it was very yeah fast paced, and yeah, I thought it fit really well too. You know, but I mean, he's going through this, and, and of course, what happens? He runs across Jeannie, and you know, he runs in front of Jeannie. Oh. Jeannie slams on the brakes, and all of her mother's notes spill <laughs> all over the front seat of the car. <laughs> and then Jeannie's like, "Oh my god, I have to haul ass because now I have to catch Ferris. I have to catch him." Oh. She goes through all of that. They get rushing home. You know, they he he ends up running past his dad, and he's jogging past his dad, and his dad doesn't know who it is, and his dad's starting to pull around him. Oh, that's the scene where my daughter and I were just like, "Oh my god!" He looked right at him. He looked right at him at one point. He was right next to the car, and then he dashes behind it. And I'm just like, "How could he be so, oh, yeah, so unobservant?" Oh, yeah. I mean, just the, the, lucky there bastard. Was, 
there was so much with that, you know. What I mean, but they they noticed that uh, he does he does try to sneak in. Now, the very end of this, when he finally goes to try to sneak into the house, Jeannie shows up there. His parents are having a fight outside about Jeannie and how bad she's being. Yep. You know, with with ruining a sale and calling her home <laughs> and all that from the police station to pick her up. What oh. happens? Jeannie walks in and, and Ed Rooney catches Ferris. And yep. he's like, you know, he goes, Ferris, you're mine. Your ass is mine type thing. Yeah. And what happens? Jeannie opens the door and goes, oh, there you are, Ferris. <laughs> I'm so sorry that you had to walk home from the hospital, you know, in your delusion. And she yep. looks at Ed Rooney and hands him his, hands her his, you know, hands him his wallet oh. and goes, uh, by the way, Mr. Rooney, you dropped this on the kitchen floor. <laughs> and again, the giant eyes come out and he's like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. Yeah. I thought it was interesting. She spent the entire movie fixated and just really focused on Ferris. And, and in the end, she helped him. I thought that was really interesting. In the end, she helped him. And, and again, I think that that comes down to because she did, you know, she got something nice out of it. She wouldn't have met Charlie Sheen's character. Yeah. which that's, Yes. You know. Yeah. It, it humanized her instead of being this evil bitch. Uh, it really did. And that was actually something I put in my notes was that, I, you know, why? You know, I posed the question, why did Jeannie help him at the end? And I thought, well, she got to get it on with you know, Charlie Sheen. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. That, that could be, you know, a pretty good motivation, you know. <laughs> but, I, you know, I think it's also a little deeper than that. I think that she really does, you know, does or did care about her brother and wanted to be kind of a part of this. And it just, yeah. And not only that, but stick it, you know. Yeah. At the end, too. Now, that we get down to the very closing credits for this movie because Ferris has his parents come in. They see him. They're like, oh, you know, we're so much – we're so glad that you're feeling better. Oh, so cheesy. You know, oh. and, and of course what happens throughout the entire credits is that, you know, Ed Rooney comes out and he realizes that he has to walk home because his car has been towed. Mm-hmm. And who should see him coming home but the, but the lady driving the school bus? <laughs> She pulls over. He looks like hell, and she even says, "Oh, you look like you got beat up or something." Yeah, yeah. She opens up the doors, gives him a ride. He comes and he sits down on the bus, and the bus, oh, God. the the bus, it, it's straight out of Sixteen Candles again. Oh, totally, totally. John Hughes. I I thought the same thing. I was like, you know, the, the bus scene in Sixteen Candles. It was just drop dead silence, blank stares. You know, so and of course. Perfectly. Yeah, and who's on the bus? Everybody who's on the bus is like all the dweebs and the nerds and geeks and everything. You know, he sits down next to that girl who offers him the gummy bears, and he says, "Here, would you like a gummy bear? They're warm." My pocket. I'm like, oh, you know, sweetie, and just the look of exasperation on Rooney's face was classic. Oh, and he's like looking around. He sees on her notebook that she's written the save Ferris on there. Oh my god! I actually took note of how many times I saw Save Ferris in the movie. I, I think three or four. Yeah, four times. Four times because, or no, 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 three times. Wrigley Field billboard on the yes. water tower, and then on his on the girl's shoulder. Yes, I, it could be more, but I did take note of those three times. It's just hilarious. Unless maybe Save Ferris was on the kid's cup when he was collecting money. I don't remember if it was. It might have been. I'm not sure on that. All I know is that he was walking through the hallway going, save Ferris, save Ferris. And they're like, oh, well, we got to save, you know, a kidney costs $50,000. So we were trying to raise money to get him a new kidney. Oh, God. And I love how it spreads so much like like it, like it does in high school. You know, you start oh, with yeah. 
a rumor and it just completely explodes into something completely out of, you know, out of the realm of what it originally started off as. And yeah. Geez, yeah, rolling her eyes, the whole thing. It was just, oh, it was brilliant. Now, I'm going to go ahead here since we're done with the plot. I want to kind of move into some of the trivia for this movie. Because, again, I am like – I'm a huge trivia buff and trivia geek when it comes to movies. Me too. So I wanted to point out some of the things that I learned when I was reading through on this here, doing my research. I found out that John Hughes was – he was a huge Beatles fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, he makes multiple references to them and to John Lennon in the script uh, in Ferris Bueller. And not just even in Ferris Bueller but in some of his other movies. I know Sixteen Candles, he has uh, the scene where Molly Ringwald and uh, – Michael Anthony Hall are sitting there in the car and he starts singing, you say it's your birthday. Yes. And then he starts singing, Hey Jude. Hey and I'm Jude. Like, uh-huh. Well, he and does the same, right. you know, obviously they do the same thing here with this movie, uh, with twist and shout, mm-hmm. you know, and Hughes basically said that during the filming, he was listening to the white album every single day for 56 days straight. Oh my gosh. Uh, you know, and Lennon kind of got, Lennon was glad, you know, he, he actually did end up pissing off the Beatles a little bit because, they while they used the original twist and shout and they used the Beatles version, they overdubbed some brass where you see the you see the band that's playing there in the front when yeah. you start singing Twist and Shout. They put in the brass band and the brass section in the song. And yeah. the Beatles were kind of upset about that. They you know, John John Lennon actually said he goes, I didn't like that that oh. they put that in. Yeah. And it was it was really kind of a an upsetting moment. And and Hughes was like, I'm really sorry, I didn't mean to piss off the Beatles. He goes, you know, yeah. You know, and he really did. He felt really bad about it. He said, uh, "So I mean, I kind of kind of thought that was bad." Um, yeah. Now Hughes also pays tribute. He he was a huge hockey fan, a huge Red Wings fan. To that, uh, so when you see Cameron walking around in that Red Wings jersey throughout the film, yeah. uh-huh. that was Gordy Howe's jersey, Gordy Howe's number nine. I and, was going to ask about that. Yeah, and Gordy Howe actually sent them that jersey, and he's and he said later on he goes, it was really nice seeing the number nine walking around on the big screen. Very cool. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of nice. Yeah. Uh, now there are vanity plates that do show up in the movie as well. Yep. Uh, when you see the the uh, vanity plate on Cameron's dad's Ferrari. It spells nervous. Nervous, yep. Uh, other films in the other uh, plates that you see in the movie uh, are homages to her home, uh, Hughes' earlier works. Uh, we see VCTN, which is supposed to be for uh, National Lampoon's Vacation. Uh, we see one plate that says TBC, which is for The Breakfast Club. Uh-huh. Uh, we see one that says M Mom for Mr. Mom. Uh-huh. And we see uh, 4FBDO. Which is supposed to be for Ferris, uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I'll be darned. You know, and and they're little things. I mean, you don't you have to look for them, but yeah, I, I kind of want to go back and watch the movie to see if I can spot them again. But I thought I that do was... too. I, now that you've mentioned it, I, I noticed the nervous on Cameron's dad's car because they did kind of pan into that. And you could see it very clear, but I didn't notice it on the other cars. So that's very cool. Yeah, I want to say that the vacation one might have been on the uh, station wagon that Jeannie was driving with her mom. Uh-huh, that wood-paneled piece of shit. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't remember that. I mean, those that thing was like, it reminded me of like the old country squires that you saw back in like oh, the late 70s. Oh, ugly. Oh, so hideous. You know, yeah. I, I got to say this, Chrysler, you know, Chrysler and Chevy and GM and all that, please, wood paneling needs to stay dead. Exactly. Go away. <laughs> uh, now, 
the, another thing that I did pick up, that whole thing with Ben Stein where he's going off and he's doing the whole monotone lecture about the Smoot-Hawley tariff act. Uh-huh. It was not originally actually in Hera, uh, Hughes' script. Uh, Stein was actually doing this off camera. He was lecturing uh, to the amusement of all the student cast. And uh-huh. he says – he said – he goes, I was just going to do it off camera, but the student extras laughed so hard when they heard my voice that Hughes basically said, do it on camera. Improvise. Something you know a lot about. Well, when I gave the lecture about supply-side economics, I thought they were applauding. Everybody on the set applauded. I thought they were applauding because they had learned something about supply-side economics. But turns out they were applauding because they thought I was boring. <laughs> it was the oh, best day of my life. Oh, that's so great. Oh, I think that – I remember my grandma telling me that he's like a Rhodes Scholar or something, and he's like yes. major in economics and like a real bit. And I think he – I'm trying to remember. I think she said he – used to write uh, speeches for President Bush. I could be wrong, um, but very, very intelligent. Yeah, very, I, I don't remember if it was Bush or Nixon, but he did write speeches. I know yes. that he was a speechwriter at one point. Mm-hmm. Very bright. It takes somebody with that level of intelligence to sound so <laughs> monotonous and boring. I, it's, it's, it's brilliant. Now, with regards to when Ferris does the whole uh, parade float singing and choreographing, mm-hmm. uh he it was actually supposed to be all this choreographed beforehand moves and everything. Yes. They said that they were working on all the moves uh, in a little studio there in Chicago, and they shot it on two Saturdays in the heart of downtown. Oh wow! And now the first day actually was during a real parade, uh-huh. and John got a lot of very long shots. And the radio stations carried announcements inviting people to take part in a John Hughes movie, oh. and the word got around fast. Ten thousand people showed up. Uh, for the final shot where you see them and they're, they're kind of walking down and they're, you know, he's on the parade float. And they're finishing up with yeah. uh, twist and shout. He uh-huh. turns around. He says, uh, Broadwick says, he turns around. And he goes, I turned around, saw a river of people. I put my hands up my, at, at the end of the number and heard this huge roar. And he goes, and I could totally understand how rock stars feel. That kind of reaction really feeds you. Oh, so, I thought I remembered something about, and I don't know if I like IMDB the movie a long time ago, but I thought that there was something about him getting injured. I yes. don't know if he, and, and, and that was why he did that particular dance, or that there, there was, he changed up the dance or the, or the uh, yes. whole parade thing because he got injured. Yeah, and what happened was that uh, Kenny Ortega, who, uh, he was the choreographer for this movie, he also did uh, High School Musical, which, oh, wow, yes. you know, if, if you're any sort of fan of, of Disney flicks, which I really can't stand, but uh, no, he, I, I he have did no that. choice. I got three kids. Yeah. Well, <laughs> he did so that, excited. you know, and Kenny Ortega, the thing that I remember him for is that an episode of Phineas and Ferb where they did Roller Coaster the Musical, they have Kenny Ortega who kind of shows up and he lends his voice to the film and he's basically kind of doing this whole dance number at the very end. And they have his little character running through and telling everybody, really push those hands out, really push the palms out, emphasize that. You know, he's doing this whole thing on Phineas and Ferb. So that was my little bit of, of knowing him. When I saw his name showing up here, I'm like, oh my God, I recognize that name. Yeah, that's, and that was, wow. So he's been in, in the business for a very long time then. Oh yeah, yeah. But now he said that much of what they originally choreographed had to be scrapped because Roderick injured his uh, he injured his knee really badly while he was doing all the backyard running through the neighbor's backyards and That's jumping on the trampoline it. and all that. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, so he did actually injure it, and they had to scrap a lot of that dancing. So uh-huh. when you see everybody dancing on the sides and everything, Kenny Ortega basically had to kind of try and fill that in and put stuff in so that they would be able to do that and have it fill in for this dance number that that uh, 
Matthew Broderick was originally supposed to do. He pretty much just kind of shook his hips a little bit. He didn't. You could tell he really did not move his legs much at all. It was very, very carefully. And I was watching it pretty intently. You could tell that he was kind of nursing it. Yeah. You know. Uh, now, I know that Don Cashane was kind of choreographed, but for Twist and Shout, he goes, Roderick basically said, he goes, we were just making everything up. He goes, we didn't know what we were doing because, yeah. you know, John Hughes was basically yelling out, you know, don't do not do it with any of the choreograph with any of the choreography. Just do it. You know, just say yeah. it. Uh-huh. Uh, now, what was really funny was that when they did the first time, when they did the first weekend when they were filming it, they actually put their uh, they actually put their float into, and it was unbeknownst to anybody that they were entering this float into the parade. Oh wow! So there's a scene in the movie where you see like you, you see the judges and everything for the parades uh-huh. for the parade. They're scrambling around and they're looking, trying to figure out, and you see them kind of like looking through all their paperwork. That's and what really is real. Going on here, yeah, oh, because wow. they had no clue. Oh, uh, wow. Nobody had any idea what was what the parade float was, including the yeah. governor who was who was sitting there on the parade stand. Oh my gosh! Well, so, obviously they knew that you know John Hughes was filming a movie there, so I'm sure they you know I'm sure they're going, oh my god, we're not prepared for this. Oh no! Yeah, and so I mean, oh. when you see them when you see them later on and they're doing you know when they're when you see them later on, everybody's dancing in in the. Yeah parade float thing in the parade stand that actually was done the next weekend but i mean oh, you know okay. they kind of knew about it later but when they first were doing it and everybody's scrambling around the papers yeah. the cameras reported on them they had no clue that that was what was going on oh my god i'll have to watch that i know what you're talking about kind of like right as it's right as the scene started right yeah and it's hilarious yeah. to see because it's like oh wow I- i'm watching it and of course i knew that and i'm just cracking up laughing watching it I'm like, oh my god this is great <laughs> poor people uh, now, one of my one of my favorite scenes when we first start seeing Edie McClurg, uh, she's actually pulling pencils out of her hair when we first see her, and she say she sets like three pencils down on on the yeah. um, on the desk. Yep. And what happened with that was that she kind of just to basically get the description of how this happened. Edie McClurg describes her character in Ferris Bueller as basically a woman who's a secretary in high school, and this is in the eighties. So she decided that maybe she'd do her hair up would be like a, a 60s hairdo, this big bouffant type of thing, yeah. because Grace felt she looked best in the 60s and kept her look from that era. So she says, so I went into a hair and makeup in the morning and said, I'd like a big bubble hairdo. Well, they had hired a guy who was Mia, Mia Sarah's blowout guy to basically do her hair. And, you know, the guy apparently didn't know anything about setting hair, which she was kind of like, Really? Really? Uh, yeah. So she said, you know what, I'll just do it myself. So she says, I'll, I teased it up all the way out, sprayed it, and then gave it this big bubble. And when she arrived on the set with the hairdo, Hughes looked at her and said, um, how many pencils do you think you can fit in that hair? And she goes, well, I don't know. Let's see. So she put <laughs> one in, looked down, nothing came out, put another one in, nothing. Third oh. one in, nothing came out. Finally, with the fourth one, it dropped. Oh so she God. says, well, I can hold three said, okay, let's start that way. And that was basically her intro into the film was that she starts pulling out the pencils and putting them I, on the desk. <laughs> I wondered about that. <laughs> I was like, that's interesting. Yes. <laughs> so, Bubble hairdo, I like it. You know, one of the other things that I liked was that uh, one of the last scenes in there, because we never actually saw them doing this, but apparently when they went into the restaurant, it, it, uh, when they faked being Abe Froman, yeah. uh, there's a scene about this later in the taxi where uh, Cameron laments about how they haven't done anything that day, you know, mm. 
And mm-hmm. Ferris kind of says, what do you mean we haven't done anything? We saw works of ate, works of art. We ate yeah. pancreas, for God's sakes. Yeah. Well, they were actually supposed to be served actual pancreas, and they were supposed to be eating it. And then later on in one of the classes, in one of the class scenes, they were going to have a mention where in biology they were studying and looking for the islets of Langerhans, which is found on the pancreas. So it was supposed to kind of co- coincide at the same yeah. time with them eating pancreas, and both scenes got cut. I yeah, there was some yeah, that was one, and there's another scene too where it kind of it like I think it was when they were talking about getting married. I almost felt like they needed to kind of expand on that a little bit more. Yeah, uh, it was editing just kind of like that scene where there's they're sitting somewhere and and he's talking about why can't we get married? Why can't we get married or whatever? Well, yeah, that was that was when they were at the. Um... At the mercantile exchange, when they were talking, oh, those, yeah. he, and, he and asked her, he goes, let's, let's get married today, you know. And, yeah, it was very, um, it, it kind of seemed like it was just kind of thrown in. It, it didn't seem like it meshed well with the rest of, in my opinion, it didn't seem like it really meshed well with the rest of the movie. It was kind of like, hmm, are they ad-libbing here? I don't, was, I don't know. Yeah, it, it was, I mean, they did kind of pull back to it again when, when uh, Cameron was flipping out. And yeah. Ferris turns to the camera and he says, you know, I really was thinking, you know, he goes, I really was serious about marrying Sloan, yeah. you know, and we probably will get married later on once we get out of high school. Yeah. But, you know, and then did. He, he did mention it again. It just, it, the way that they brought it up, it was like, a, it was, a, you know, obviously, you know, teen conversation. He was kind of grilling her and it was cute, but it was just kind of like, oh, this is kind of out of left field. You know, no pun intended. Yeah. But it, was, it was just really kind of, it was interesting. Yeah. I mean, it, it was, I liked it, but at the same time, it, it Kind of just didn't fit in the movie there for that. I point. didn't think so either, unless it was maybe Hughes' attempt to maybe further humanize Ferris to maybe show that he does have real feelings for her and real feelings for Cameron. And you know what I mean? Maybe that maybe that was the point of that. Is, you know, maybe he really is a really caring guy, and he's not all about you know having fun and, and being cocky. And you know, maybe maybe that was it. Maybe that was the point. Could be. Yeah. Uh, now. I want to kind of touch a little bit on the reception of how this film was picked up. Uh, people love this movie. I mean, it, it goes beyond just what you and I are saying. We love this movie. I mean, when we look at Rotten Tomatoes, Rotten mm-hmm. Tomatoes is basically, you know, I mean, everybody, I think everybody nowadays has heard of Rotten Tomatoes as being kind of one of the major film sites, film critic sites. Yeah. It gives regular critics like, you know, back when Roper and, and Ebert and Roper were alive, it gave them, you know, their their take on it. It gives the general public's take on it, so you can go in and you can say you can rate the film, and it adds to that whole eighty, you know, eighties, nineties percentage, whatever it is. Well, yeah. Rotten Tomatoes listed this film at eighty-four percent certified fresh, which that's actually a really pretty good score. Yeah, considering it is. this movie is almost thirty years old and it's still yeah. held up, so yeah. I kind of have to give it that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Roger Ebert. Oh yeah. Uh, Roger Ebert gave the film three out of four stars. And he said it was one of the most innocent movies in a long time and a sweet, warm-hearted co- uh, comedy. Mm-hmm. Now, Richard Roper, his co-host, his later co-host, said of Ferris Bueller's Day Off, it was one of my favorite movies of all time. It has one of the highest repeatability factors of any film I've ever seen. I can watch it again and again and again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he goes, and there's also this, and I say it in all sincerity, Ferris Bueller's Day Off is something of a suicide prevention film. Or at the very least, a story about a young man trying to help his friend gain some measure of self-worth. Yeah. Ferris has made it his mission to show Cameron that the whole world in front of him is passing him by and that yeah. life can be pretty sweet if you wake up and embrace it. Yeah. And that's really the lasting message of, of Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I agree. Now, 
to show how much Roper loved this, he actually got a license plate, S-V-F-R-R-I-S, to pay homage to the film and say, save Ferris. Ferris. Save Ferris. How so. And I, I agree with that. That's totally, I think that's the lasting message of it. Because you know, he, he made a call, you know, he looked at the camera and he said, you know, life moves pretty fast. You got to pay attention. Um, and, uh, yeah. So, yeah, I, I know that, uh, you know, a lot of people did like it. Ben Stein liked it. You know, he had his things to say. This was the life, most life-affirming movie, possibly of the entire post-war period. You know, it was kind of what oh. Gone with the Wind was to comedies. You know, so I was kind of like, okay, you know, and he makes good points. He basically says that this film is never really going to die as one of the greatest comedies out there. I I, I will say that, yeah, it's probably it's probably always going to be remembered. Yeah. Uh, you know, I would definitely put it up there. I know AFI rated it very highly on their top 100 movies of all time. Really? Uh, I don't know where they put it. I unfortunately was not really looking for that information, didn't write it down. But yeah. I know that it did show up in their top 100 movies. Yeah. Uh, however, I do have to point out that not everybody liked the movie because yeah. Roger or uh, Gene Siskel of Siskel and Ebert, he basically panned the film. He said, you know, <laughs> well, uh, Ferris Bueller just doesn't do anything much fun. They don't even sit in the bleachers where all the kids like to sit when they go to Cubs games. <laughs> I'm like, you know what? If, if that's really the, the worst thing that you have to say about the movie, fine. Fine. You Although know. it's interesting that they chose to go to a museum. I, I, you know, not that it, museums aren't well, they're not my idea of fun, but they're not boring either. But you think, okay, what can you know? If I were 16, 17, and I'm cutting class, you know, going, you know, where would I want to go? I don't know if I'd want to go to a museum. Well, but, and that's the thing is that they that scene was almost cut because. Yeah. You know, it, because it didn't test well when they did it with test audiences. Yeah, it didn't strike me as a place that you'd see Ferris going. Unless, well, it, you know, it, I don't know. It, it, I mean, it was good and it, you know, it did show, um, he, you know, he obviously he you know, appreciates art. So maybe that, you know, another way to humanize him. I don't know. But it, it, I just thought, hmm. Unless the thought occurred to me too, because they had the car parked in the parking garage, and I was thinking, how did they get from the ball game to the museum to the restaurant to all these different places? And I'm like, well, maybe everything's in really close proximity, so they just went wherever they could go in walking yeah. distance. Yeah. Well, they were take, remember, they were taking taxis all over the place because. Oh, that's true. They, yeah, they did take a taxi. That's remember, right. they they snuck off in the taxi from. That's right. The, it was yeah. called for their dads from the. Uh, that's right. Yeah. You know, and then they end up seeing their they end up seeing Ferris's dad in the taxi next to him and all that. So that's right. Yeah. Well, yeah, I just thought it was kind of strange. A museum. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Now, with regards to that reception, there was talks at one time of doing a sequel. Uh, Roderick and Hughes basically stayed in touch after production for a little bit, and they thought about doing a sequel with Ferris Bueller, uh, where he'd basically be in college or at his first job and the same kind of things would happen again. Problem was, is that they really couldn't think of a good hook to that. And they really couldn't find some way to suck it in. And yeah. they said the original Ferris Bueller movie, it's basically about a singular time in your life. Yeah. Uh, it's about the week before you leave school. It's about the end of school. Mm -hmm. In some way, it really doesn't have a sequel. Yeah. Uh, it's a little moment and it's a lightning flash in your life. You know, I mean, you could try to repeat it in college Something, but it's at a time that you really don't keep. So that's partly why they didn't think they could do another. Uh, yeah. uh, just for fun, though, Broderick did say, you know, Broderick and Ruck did say, he goes, I used to think that 
you know, why don't they wait until they're in the, they're in their 70s and then do <laughs> Ferris Bueller Returns and have Cameron be in a nursing home. Oh my god. And he goes, he doesn't really that need to, you know, he doesn't, Cameron doesn't really need to be there, but he just kind of decided that his life is over, you know, he's old and he's just going to die. So he's committed himself <laughs> to a nursing home and Ferris comes and breaks him out, takes him to a titty bar and like <laughs> All this ridiculous stuff happens, you know. And then at the end of the movie, Cameron oh. dies. <laughs> oh, that's great. I'm like, I, I could see that. That's the sad I thing. Could. I know. I totally could. But, you know, again, how do you get through it? You know, would there be a turning point where they say – where he says to Cam- – you know, Cameron says to him, he goes, I have cancer. And then he, he up and dies and falls over. Yeah. I don't know that I really want to see that because, again, with this, you, you want to know what happens. But at the same time – I don't necessarily know. Want to know what happens afterwards? I think it's kind of that's part of the magic of it. Is it, yeah. it just kind of sometimes it's better not to do a sequel, and a lot of movie makers don't really get that. There's a lot of sequels out there that should not have been made. You should well, have left it alone with the first one and let, left us to wonder and to ponder and just let it go. Um, NBC but, didn't follow that though. <laughs> NBC got it in their heads that hey, we need to capitalize on Ferris Bueller, so. What did they do? Four years later, they come out and they say, we're going to do a, a Ferris Bueller TV series. I think I remember that. Oh, my God. They had Charlie oh. Schlatter as Ferris Bueller. I remember that. And I remember I remember watching this. I remember the pilot and the pilot episode. They show Charlie Schlatter and he comes out and he's got this cardboard cutout of Matthew Broderick dressed up uh, in his typical Ferris Bueller garb. The, you know, the, the sweater vest sweater and the leather jacket. <laughs> He takes a chainsaw and slices it up and goes, you know, he basically says, well, that was, you know, he goes, I couldn't stand that they hired Matthew Broderick to play me. Oh, my God. And I was like, really? 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 Now, <laughs> interesting thing about this show is that they did have some other people uh, who you probably heard of. They had Amy Dolenz, whose father yeah. is Mickey Dolenz of the Monkees. Uh-huh. From the Monkees, yeah. Uh, and then uh, she was, she was going to be Sloane Peterson and then Jeannie – was going to be played by none other than Jennifer Aniston of Friends fame. No way. Yes. Really? Yes, oh, and, and yeah. she did play it. She was only there for like a couple of episodes. They had 13 episodes that ran. Oh, like, like, a, like a season four? Yeah, and yeah. it failed miserably. Oh, uh, yeah. Part of the funny. reason for that, I think, is that Fox, at the same time, Fox had a, a very similar show called Parker Lewis Can't Lose. I vaguely remember that. And I that was a lot more popular. People liked it a lot more. I liked it a lot more because it really – first off, it debuted before uh, it came out and started having uh, episodes before NBC had Ferris Bueller. Oh, okay. So well, I was, everybody had a following before Ferris came along. Yeah. You know, I mean I, I'm kind of glad for that. I mean you know, I, I will say this, that Schlatter and Aniston did go on afterwards. Uh, Schlatter did get picked up. Um, He's done numerous works for voiceover acting. Uh-huh. Uh, you being that you you have kids, you might have seen some of these shows. He was uh, Clarence Kick Batowski on uh, on uh, Kick Batowski Sub- Suburban Daredevil on uh, Disney Channel. I've heard of the show, but I have not seen it. Uh, he was Doctor Mindbender on the TV show GI Joe Renegades. Okay. Uh, he was Ace Bunny on Lunatics Unleashed. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of uh, he was Kevin Eleven on the popular TV series Ben Ten, um, and he's also done additional voices on Sonic the Hedgehog and Phineas and Ferb. Um, Phineas and Ferb. 
Yeah, I wasn't able to find anything as to what specifically yeah. he does on those. Just when I looked it up, it said additional voices. So yeah. I'm figuring it's probably little voices here and there or, you know, one-off characters type of thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, so, like, so active in the industry. That's good. Yeah. And, of course, we all know what happened to Jennifer Aniston. Absolutely. You know. Yep. Uh, She's not hurting. Yeah, you know, I mean, when you go from when you go from a show like that, and you end up working at oh, what was it, Central Perk, and you know, having Gunther <laughs> chase you around on Friends, exactly. you know, you're falling in and out of love on with Ross Geller. Yep. Yeah, you know, and, and <laughs> you're getting paid a million bucks an episode. Yeah, I don't think you're hurting too much. Not at all. <laughs> so that pretty much wraps up what my notes are. I know you said you wanted to talk a little bit about the fashion from the movie, so I'll let you oh. leap into that. Okay. Well, I have to say, oh my God, you know, 80s fashion. Yeah. Beautiful, special. I, <laughs> um, I just immediately, the sweater vest. So that was the first thing. I'm just like, oh God, the sweater vest. And what else did he have? He had, didn't he have a leather jacket at one point? Yeah, kind that, of a, that leather jacket was bizarre because it was that it whole was two-tone. Very it was like a patchwork leather jacket. It was weird. <sighs> And you don't see leather jackets like that nowadays. Now they're either brown or black. Yeah, it's a, like one solid color. I, I looked at that. I was trying to figure it out. I'm like, is this a patchwork? Is this what exactly is going and on? With I, I don't know about it, but I mean, I, I seem to vaguely remember like it looked like it had shoulder pads, which yes. apparently was like the big thing in the <laughs> 80s. Everybody had to have these puffed up yes. shoulder pads. Yes, I think it did have shoulder pads. It was so hideous. I was just like, the, oh. Uh, I had to stop and ask, what the fuck was up with that? Did everybody <laughs> want to look like a football player? Was everybody trying to look like, you know, oh, the refrigerator no. Perry at this point in time I, in Chicago? I just, yeah, I, I thought it was interesting too that in one scene, I, I don't know if it was bad editing or if it was intentional, but like it, he started off wearing a suit. There was a point in the movie in, in the beginning where he was wearing a suit. Yes. And then shows him wearing the god-awful sweater vest and the same thing with Cameron. He, he comes out and he's wearing a brown t-shirt with suspenders. Oh, my God. And then he goes into the hockey jersey. So I'm noticing in the course of the day, I'm like, how did they bring their clothes along with them and change? Because Sloan was the only one who didn't have her outfits changed. Well, with regards to that, they originally – because remember, he had dressed up in the suit to pretend to be uh, Mr. Peterson when they went to go pick her up at the oh, school. Oh, yeah. Okay. So that was why he was – yeah, because it was in the beginning of the movie when, when – in the, uh, Cameron first came over, and he did come out wearing the suit. That's right, because that's when Cameron was making the crank call to Rooney, and he was in the suit in that. That's right. Okay. Um, and then, yeah, he, cha he changed into that god-awful sweater vest, and was it khakis? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Just, oh, my God. It just... You know, and I have to pick out a wardrobe because it's like, why did you think that sweater vests were popular? Oh, I don't God. care if this was Chicago, Illinois, you know, suburb of Chicago, <laughs> Illinois. Sweater vests have never been popular, ever. It's never cool. I'm sorry. I just that was the first thing that struck me was this kid is so cool, but he's dressed like such a nerd. I, yes. I don't get it. And then Cameron, actually Cameron, I thought was dressed cooler than Ferris. You know, yes. <laughs> that struck me as like okay, you know, even the suspenders, they're kind of you know. You know I, I mean, okay, you know? yeah, the, yeah, the suspenders kind of reminded me of Mork and Mindy. You know, yeah. I don't let that slide. Yes. Because that was yes. that was about that time that you know kids were still wearing the suspenders and whatnot on their yes. pants and t-shirts. But you, yeah. oh wow! And the but hockey jersey totally fit in with the area because you know it would, it would nowadays. What do you see people wearing? You'll see people here in Southern California. They'll be wearing you know a football jersey, or you'll see them wearing a basketball jersey for the Lakers. You know. Yeah. 
that to me just it, okay. That was fine because I would I would totally imagine seeing somebody wearing you know a, a hockey jersey in Chicago. Yeah, I just thought it was very. You know, Ferris's outfit was just a little un- too uncool for the cool persona and the cool character that he was. I just thought this was just not fit. And then don't even get me started on Sloane's outfit. That was just a travesty. <laughs> Again, coming back with the shoulder pads. <laughs> oh, the oh the fringe jacket, the boots, the shorts, the belt, I, the whole thing. I think I, I was trying to see what was going on with the shirt. I think it was a t-shirt with a tank top over it, and then. The fringe jacket, and then the yeah, the the long like Bermuda shorts with the with the fringe boots. I, it was awful. I just, I just yeah. <laughs> uh, again, another thing that that needs to stay dead is fringe. Fringe. Oh God. And yes, I believe that her jacket had the shoulder pads as well. So that just adds to the travesty of the outfit. It's yeah. just it horrible. Well, and I remember looking when they were when they were sitting in there in the pool. I remember looking at her and going, "My God, she looks teeny tiny." Like there's nothing to her, and like yeah. when I saw her come out from the, uh, when I saw her come out from the school when when you know they go to pick her up, I yeah. remember looking at her and going, my God, she looks like she's got curves, and you know there's all of her there, and you know yeah. she looks hot. And then when they show her in the pool, I'm like, there ain't nothing to her. She looks like a damn toothpick. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how old she was at the making of that, but probably probably teenage, probably around. I think they all were. Matthew Broderick's probably in his late forties, early fifties now, so. He's, yeah. I want to say he's like 50-something, 50 51, 52 oh. now. So maybe he was in his 20s when they when this movie came out. because yeah, uh, I know that when they did, back in 2010, at the Academy Awards, after John Hughes had passed away, uh, they had him come out and he goes, you know, for the past 20, 25 years or whatever it was, over 25 years, people still come up to me and they ask, you know, Hey, you know, they, they ask, you know, hey, are, are you going to take the day off today? And he, and he always asks, he always gets people joking about him with that. Oh, with the Ferris Bueller, like, are you going to, yeah, yeah, which is so cool. That's the one role he's really memorable for. Yeah, well, and, and enough so that, what was it? I want to say last year at the Super Bowl or was it the year before, Honda did an ad where they basically spoofed all of Ferris Bueller's day. And Matthew Broderick was supposed to be doing this. He was supposed to be like doing this commercial or something. Oh my god! He's supposed to be doing this movie shoot, and he he calls out and he goes, "I'm sick," and he he basically does this whole <laughs> fake thing to the oh CEO and everything. He's like, "I can't do it," and he he runs off and he spends the day at Santa Monica Pier on the Ferris That's wheel hilarious. and everything. And they oh, they, they pay so many homages. They they have the Honda car that he's supposed to be driving, the pilot or whatever it was. And oh wow! They they have some guy. He goes to pick up his car, and this guy's going Broderick. Roderick, Roderick, you know, I mean, it was, it was great. Go, go look it up. If you, if you haven't seen it, go look it up. Cause I know it's on YouTube. Is it, what is it? It was a, what, a Honda commercial? Uh, yeah, it was a Honda commercial. I want to say it was for the Honda pilot, but you look up Honda commercial or you look up Matthew Broderick commercial, okay. Matthew Broderick will, Ferris Bueller commercial, you'll find it. I will YouTube it. Cause that sounds hilarious. Yeah, I it, just have to say as a little end note to the outfit, um, I don't know what made me think of this, but the scene where uh, Rooney is standing out there in front of a school with Sloan, that just weirded me out. That that was so bizarre because, I mean, in reality, do principals really wait with the student as they're getting picked up? I thought the, that was a little too far-fetched for me. Um, that was when I was really focusing on her outfit. But yeah, it was just really – and then, of course, she was kind of like – like I don't want to say she wasn't hitting on him, but she was like, "You're a wonderful man," and 
just talking to him really oh, bizarre. She I mean, was she was playing that whole thing off. I mean, she was basically being sarcastic as hell, yeah. and he wasn't picking up on it. And he wasn't picking up on it. And I, but that it was that was that whole scene was just really no. weird. I think that I, I want to say that maybe he just knew that it was Ferris that was coming to get her, and that was why he was there. But I think I, so. I think he was trying to trap it, trap him. I think but, so too. And then I loved how brazen Ferris was with you know kissing. Do you have a kiss for right daddy? There, yes. Right there in front of the principal, and then even like on the phone when he call. I don't know if you noticed this when he calls him up. Um, during the scene where he thought he was talking to um, the dad, and then it was really Ferris. He's like, yeah, I'm just calling to see if I can have my sister bring home my homework assignment. Oh, that was great. He he sounded perfectly fine and normal and healthy. I thought, oh, my God, how brazen is this? It was his way of of screwing with with Ed Rooney. So, I mean, it's, you know, totally understandable. I was was debating that. I'm like, was was this intentional? Did he intentionally sound fine on the phone, or was that just... Yeah, I love that. He did yeah. it as that whole dig, and you know, but, and that brings to mind one of my favorite lines in, in the movie with with them getting sick, you know, and him faking it is that when he, Ed Rooney goes back and he goes, "Pardon my French, but you're an asshole." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know. I, just, uh, I just remember thinking, okay, the whole thing about the principal waiting with Sloan—that was yeah. just a little weird. Oh. I do have one other fashion faux pas that I have to point out in this movie. Oh, yeah. Ed Rooney, when he gets out of the car, when he first starts driving around trying to find Ferris, uh-huh. and he drives his car out, gets out of the car, and he puts on those sunglasses. sunglasses. Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> they flip up, and I'm like, oh, my God. The I, only I, other time I, that I've ever seen flip-up oh. sunglasses was was on a different world for – I forget oh. what his name was. And he always had them up, and I thought that was stupid. Oh my god! I I confess I had a pair of those at one point when I was probably thirteen, and I thought they were the coolest things ever. And I just oh, I cringe now. That's yes. the shoulder pads. I cringe now, but yes, I, at the time I thought those were freaking cool. <laughs> I remember the running joke with the running joke with the shoulder pads is why do they have shoulder pads? So that when blondes go, I don't know, they're bumping their heads yes, to either side exactly. and protecting them. Other than that, I'm trying to think. I don't. Well, actually, the mother had some weird fashion faux pas too. Come to think of it, the the feather hairdo. Uh, yeah. Weird. I think she had houndstooth and like plaid going on, and yeah, that, that was like a plaid skirt and that like funky print or. No. I think it was, I think it's called houndstooth. I could be wrong, but it's just really bizarre that they, they were not coordinated well at all. And it yeah, was just, it, yeah, it was god awful. And, yeah, the dad seemed okay. The dad just had a suit on, I well, think. Well, and that's the thing is that with suits, with what the dad was wearing, it's basically been the same type of thing from, you know, the 30s on, yeah. you know. Yeah, Suits and really haven't changed suit. much in style, so I'm glad for that. Yeah. You know, that's going to be a classic look. I mean, when you when you look at stuff, when you start watching shows like Mad Men and you start seeing them going back into the 60s, yeah. the only real difference is that you would see from a suit from, you know, say the 1960s versus now is – Oh, they might have worn a vest with it, or yeah. they might not have. It, it really, and again, it kind of depends upon the suit. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then Jeannie's outfit, you know, hers was probably the. I mean, it was still god awful. Yeah. But there really wasn't a lot about it that was really remarkable to me. Other, you know, it, it was. It was. Yeah, <sighs> she had the tight leg pants with you know yeah. the, the little white kids. Yeah, and then a, I think that she had a tank, maybe a tank top and a cardigan over it, and actually it wasn't all that bad. Yeah. Um, 
The one thing I thought was odd was that Charlie Sheen in the scene in the police station said that she was wearing too much eye makeup, and she really wasn't. I thought that was very interesting. She had very, very, very minimal makeup, especially for the 80s where it was it tended to be very overdone. I thought, hmm, that's you know, it's very interesting mentioning that because she was very. I thought she looked very, very natural. Um, but yeah, clothes-wise, I really didn't see, and even hair-wise, I really didn't see anything about her that really was well, thought. She did have that like short perm look, which I yes. thought was kind of bad, but you know, yes, that's, the bad perm, yeah. You know, uh, <laughs> I will say this about Jennifer Grey: I still, to this day, don't know why somebody told her that she yeah. needed to get a nose job. I oh. thought she looked a lot better with her nose pre, you know, pre nose job than, Very so. you know, it, yeah, it was kind of a bulbous nose, but I didn't think she looked bad. I thought she looked kind of cute, you know. I thought so too, and you know, I don't, I don't really know enough i have an opinion that maybe her uh career has taken a hit since then but i thought the same thing i thought she was a really cute girl why yeah. why mess with that it was not and she's still very very pretty but you look at her and you're just like who is that it's it, she's so unrecognizable just changing yeah. that one feature on her face that it is i think that it really probably has affected her career well uh, and we've seen that sort of thing in other in other shows i mean look at look at when carrie russell decided to cut her long hair for felicity oh she Biggest got a fucking backlash. mistake ever. Major backlash for that. That's true. And I you think know. now she's on a show, and it's actually pretty popular. But I've seen a couple episodes of it. She plays a CIA agent or something. Or yeah, a but look, she's got long hair again. Hmm. Got long hair again. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, you don't mess with. There's just certain things that are your trademark that you just don't mess with. And that was something that she should not have toyed with. She looks good. She's very pretty. Yeah. But it just yeah, she's unrecognizable now. Yeah. So, kind of a shame i'd be curious to see you know if she's done interviews about that or if, if anyone's ever interviewed her and said you know do you regret doing this because you your career's taken a hit it'd be interesting to see what she has to say yeah i mean you know i i understand that maybe she was self-conscious about it which yeah. you know i get that but really i mean part of the thing when you're doing acting when you're doing this sort of thing yeah you're basing yourself off of your looks, and that Absolutely. is the way that this—that's the way that this industry really is. Yeah, that's how you become known. That's before you open your mouth, they're going to look at you, and they're going to, you know, make an opinion yeah. on. Yeah. Unless, and unless you're doing voiceover, which you know, I mean, I'll be honest, I, I have talked with voiceover actors. I, I talked with Rob Paulson one time at uh, WonderCon. Uh, I have listened to D. Bradley Baker and some of the others out there that have done numerous voice acting talent, Clancy Brown. They mm-hmm. all say basically the same thing. Yeah. With voice that. acting, they love voice acting because you don't have to be based upon what you look like. It's not, you know, are you a size six? Can you fit into this outfit? Because yeah. they're, that's really how they're casting a lot of stuff nowadays. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's they said that's pretty much how Christian Bale got the role of – uh, of Bruce Wayne for Batman was that he fit into the suit. Oh, really? And he and he resembled him enough feature-wise to where yeah, it would be believable. Yeah, and, and basically they're coming out and they're saying we need somebody who's five nine and has black hair. You know, yeah. looks you know slim build type of thing. That's really what they're looking for now. And, and you know, yeah. you're getting to the point of oh, you know, you're thirty. Well, we really need somebody who looks more twenty. Uh huh. You know. Very- Cutthroat, and got a you know good thing I don't have aspirations to do that. But yeah, if I were to be in the industry, voiceover would be the way I would do it. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah I mean, uh, it's it's you make peanuts doing it with some with some respects, unless you're a very famous on screen actor who's decided to go to voice acting. But it yeah. is what it is, you know. Absolutely. Um, but 
but yeah, Jennifer Grey, yeah, beautiful girl, but it's kind of a shame. And then I have to say, too, I'm going to interject with something a little off topic, but I think that looking at it, um, you know, Ferris was very cool. You know, his character was awesome. He was a cool character. Um, now I'm looking at it from a different set of you know, eyes, and it's like, you know, he's still cool, but he's, he's got the nerd factor going on. Now, in real life, could he have really attracted Sloane Peterson? Me there. Oh yeah, I, mean, I, I think he could have. I think he could have because he had that charisma. And, and I mean, I've seen guys who you take one look at him, and you're like, "How the hell did they get a woman who looks like that?" Okay. Yeah, I just kind of thought to myself, "He's such a dork. Can he really have attracted me and Sarah?" But you know, I mean, yeah, the charisma, the charisma, and, and he's not an ugly looking guy. But I just remember thinking, yeah. you know, and I can't complain. I mean, I, I yeah, my choice in guys back then. <laughs> we won't even go there. But I just thought it was interesting. I'm like, you know, they're a sweet, you know, a sweet couple. But in reality, she's almost kind of too hot for him. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Maybe a bit. Maybe a bit. Yeah. So I think that pretty much wraps it up here for us. I mean, unless you have anything else that you want to add here. Uh, let me look at my notes. Um, I have some just odd, like, observations. Okay. Like, okay, like, I don't remember... At our high school, did we have payphones at our high school? I thought it was odd that they had payphones in their school. I, you know, I remember that there were some when we were when we first started. There were a couple by the library, and there were a couple up by the um, up by the PE up, up by the PE building. So, I mean, having payphones, yeah. you know, that really wasn't all that odd to me. I, that kind of struck me as like, oh, maybe just the fact of seeing a payphone. I haven't seen a payphone in God knows how long. Yeah. So I was like, wow. And he actually was, again, brazen enough to call the school on a payphone. It's just like anybody could have picked up that phone. You know, yeah. and of course, he was pretending to be sick, but it's just like, wow, how, how funny that you know, he's, he's doing, he's making himself out there. Well, and he was doing it to kind of play off to make it more believable, which, absolutely. you know. Yeah. He, he was really trying to sell it, which he did. He did a great job if everybody in the town's hearing about it. Oh, yes. You know, the, the, fact, you know, the fact that they come back with that little blurb on the newspaper that his dad's reading about, you know, community rallies around local teen. Yes, around sick, the sick youth. Yeah, it yes. was already in the newspaper. I love that. I was like, oh, my God. And then, of course, the huge cordless phone that oh, yeah. using. <laughs> Nowadays, you see a phone that'll fit into your pocket. You know, kids are like, know. what's that? I just that was something my daughter first noticed. She's like, oh, my God, is that a cordless phone? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> She's like it looks like a shoebox, Mom. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> this, is a, this is called a generation gap, my dear. This is a, this is what it looked like back in the day, which is yeah. very interesting to kind of go back and, and see these things with her because she's, you know, 11 going on 12 and very observant and just weirded out by all the things that we grew up on. And it's, it's, it's hilarious. Um, but other than that, oh, oh, one other thing, one other observation, the house, Ferris's house, that house looks familiar to me. And I don't know if it was, it was used in 16 Candles or Vacation, but I think it was used in another one of John Hughes's movies. It looked very, the driveway I, being curvy, it reminded me of the Vacation driveway. I want to say it might have been. I know that now that particular house for Ferris Bueller's house it was actually in Long Beach, and it's still there. Really? Yeah, uh, but the house where they did Cameron's, where Cameron lived, that was what? actually in Illinois. Oh, wow. I wondered if they had filmed it, because it looked like downtown Chicago. 
it didn't look like LA, so they had to have filmed. Yeah. I yeah. just that was the first thing in the very when they painted you know, the very opening scene. They showed the house, they showed all the cars parked in the driveway, and I thought that house looks very familiar. Yeah, and That's I don't know. In. I'll have to research that just you know for shits and giggles. I'm very curious because I, I do remember in you know, National Anthem's vacation there was a scene where they're all pulling into the driveway and Audrey's going in there with the bike and it's it's a curved driveway, just like the house there. So I thought, hmm, I wonder if it's the same house as in it, vacation. It might very well be. I mean, I know we've seen houses like that. We've seen in Sixteen Candles that they had the um, the same house where uh, Jake was. That it's the same house in. Uh, Weird science, yes, but we'll yes. get to that when we start moving in more of our uh, some of our other episodes here. When we start talking about the next one for Sixteen Candles, mm-hmm. so that oh, will come that. back up to haunt us. <laughs> oh yes, I'll have to look that. I, I'm very curious. I'm like you. I love uh, music, movie trivia, cartoons, TV shows. I'm all about that useless knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that about wraps it up for this episode of talking about my generation. Uh, I do want to thank all, all of our listeners here. Please feel free to leave us feedback on iTunes. Uh, you can also send us a tweet. I am at S-P-R-Z-O-U-T on Twitter. Uh, I don't know if you are on Twitter, Eva, but if you want to throw it out there, if you are. I am, but I'm not enough to... <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, you can also send the show an email at mygenerationpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at Talking About My Generation. Uh, you can also go and visit our website. We do actually have a website where we have all of our links shown up here uh, for each of the podcast episodes. Please feel free to leave comments on there. That is at mygenerationpodcast.com. Uh, I am post trying to post pictures up there all the time here leading up to what's coming. Uh, I Again, also on the Facebook page here. Um, and you can also listen to us on Stitcher. We actually have recently signed up with Stitcher as well. So if you want to listen on your phone as a streaming app, you can do that. Or you can download the episodes. Uh, so I do want to thank everybody for listening here. And we are going to go ahead and sign off the show with Yellow's Oh Yeah, uh, awesome. which happened to play at the end of the film. All right. All right. Thank you for listening, guys. And we are out. <laughs>
You're still here? It's over. Go home. <laughs>